Hello and welcome to Doing the Opposite Business Disruptors, my new podcast that is about speaking to entrepreneurs across the globe that in their actions and their passions and their purpose, they have changed the game or they have done the opposite. Today, I'm really excited to bring one of my colleagues online that I've known for a few months. His name is Pat, Pat Murphy, and Pat is going to take us through his journey on how he has done the opposite or changed the game. Welcome, Pat. Thanks very much, Jeff, for inviting me onto this. And uh, it's kind of strange to be on the other side of the microphone. Uh, Normally, I'm the one that does the interviewing, uh, as you'll hear in the next few minutes. Um, But uh, yeah, let me just give you a bit of background. I I run a company called MCA. It's been going for 15 years. Uh, We started out as a production consultancy for global brands, uh, helping clients to to get the best value um, out of their marketing spend. Um, And it's morphed into something slightly different now. We get involved in much more of the marketing mix. Um, and uh, we decided to change uh, our positioning. So what we started out as doing was actually being more about how do you kind of look at the way that things get costed out and how can we kind of uh, cost control. Uh, we're now much more focused on how do we get the best value? And there's a big difference between value and cost control. So when, when we talk about, or when I talk about value, it's also about you know, having a trusted relationship with your clients. It's more about how you get more out of the budget rather than how can you cut the costs, um, particularly with clients now spending less on the stuff that they're creating in advertising and they want more stuff for the same money or less. Uh, it's actually becomes very hard. So um, our relationship with procurement uh, has always been very transactional from the beginning, but uh, it's much more now about how we can help them design a better process, design a, a production ecosystem and behaviours. How is the best to get uh, the, the best working practices out of your uh, creative partners? So all of those things, and we work with clients like Racket Benkies, uh, uh, PepsiCo, IKEA, Mondelez and Carlsberg, just to name uh, many that we work with. But if I kind of rewind before that, I was working in the advertising industry in, in many of the largest ad agencies in the world, like uh, Leo Burnett, J. Wolf Thompson, Saatchi and Saatchi, which is where I first started back in uh, 19, what was it, 19, actually it was 1985, I think. So that shows how old I am now. Um, but Truthfully, I've never really done a day's uh, work in my life. That's music to my ears, that statement. Music to my ears. (laughs) You know, one of the things I always recommend to people is, you know, you're going to spend a lot of time, a lot of your life working, so you better like something. Uh, Because, you know, if you're going to be doing long nights, weekends and whatever to be able to uh, achieve great outcomes, uh, then you better love what you're doing. Uh, And so luckily, and I, I say this to people, you know what? I hope no one finds me out because, you know, I'm still getting paid for this and I have to pinch myself at the end of every month that I actually make a make a few quid out of it. So, uh, yeah, being very lucky in that sense. Um, but it goes back all the way to when I was growing up as a child. Um, my dad said to me, he said, yeah, you know what? I, I think you'd be a great doctor or a lawyer or whatever. And uh, I decided that I wasn't going to do any of that stuff. I decided I was going to go to art college, which I did in Mainstone. Uh, and uh, he was disappointed with that as an outcome. He was a military guy. He was in the Navy all his life. So he couldn't figure out how his son was going to go to art school. Uh, and he didn't talk to me very much for many years from going to that point until I got my first job at Saatchi and Saatchi. And then uh, 
he started talking to me again. It, it felt like a respectable job for him. So uh, I did the complete opposite of what he'd expected me to do. Uh, and for me, that was the right thing because it was what I loved, you know. Um, so here I am now after all of these years. I wouldn't say it's been easy. It's been a lot of ups and downs because, you know, if you want to do those kind of careers, there's a lot of people wanting to do it. So you, you make a lot of sacrifice along the way. So where you sit now, um, Pat, and, and what you enjoy as life now and over the last few years, and we'll, we'll perhaps cover COVID a bit later, but when you look back on your journey, um, as I do frequently on mine, um, and we've discussed our journeys, you know, numerous times, over the last few months, but I mean, and not for the point of name dropping, but just to sort of give people a flavour of um, those people you've been brushing shoulders with you know, in your working life, which is one of the reasons why you love what you do. You know, sort of bring that to life a little bit for us. Sure, yeah, no problem. Uh, well, working in the advertising business, obviously you get to work with a lot of celebrities. Um, and when I remember my very first day, my very first job, I was a runner, which was making tea and carrying a tray of teas in a video post-production company. And I was there I was with my tray of teas uh, on my very first day. And I could hear this voice behind me going, hold on, darling, I'll open the door for you. And it was uh, Joanna Lumley. And uh, uh, ever since that point in time, I was in love with Joanna Lumley. And I reminded her of that uh, many years later when I was working on a TV ad with her uh, for Gamers Old English Cider. And uh, I sat in this uh, sound studio um, telling her, do you know what, Joanna? I, you know, I fell in love with you that very, very first day that I started <laughs> in the business. And she was de- absolutely delightful. She is one of the nicest people. Well, she's a national treasure. One of the nicest celebs in the business. She's a so, treasure, uh, oh, she's a national mm-hmm. treasure, absolutely. But, but uh, you know, obviously after that one first day, uh, I met, you know, everybody you could possibly imagine in, uh, in the celebrity world, uh, working on voiceovers, working on TV ads over the years. Um, and, uh, I mean, literally, it's a, it's a list that, you know, would to die for, really, um, from Madonna through to um, Elton John. Uh, and then I worked on party political, uh, party political broadcasts as well. So in the early 1990s, I was working in an ad agency that had the Labour Party as an account. And so I, I got to do about 10, 15 party political broadcasts for, for the Labour Party, including um, Tony Blair, right. getting him into his first winning election. Sir Tony Blair. Well, Sir Tony Blair, <laughs> whether you think he should have it or not. Um, the- <laughs> but interestingly, my first agency job was at Saatchi and Saatchi. So they also had the Tory party account. So uh, Norman Tebbit used to come into the building quite often. So, uh, so I've worked on both sides of the fence. Mm. And I guess... Um- when you look at all the activity going on across the pond at the moment with um, Prince Andrew and everybody else, you think, well, um, when you're mixing with those sort of people and that frequency, I wonder how many uh, NDAs you're under you don't know about. But there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, um, one of the one of the disappointments for me, I suppose, was um, uh, when I was working in Germany, I uh, had the opportunity to work on, on Marlborough Cigarettes, which was uh, one of the sponsors of uh, Formula One cars. Uh, in particular, the, the team that Etten Senna uh, was driving for. And I, you know, I was, I had no interest in Formula One and, uh, at that time, although I do now. And I never even got a chance to ask him for his autograph. So uh, that was a great shame. I kind of regret that. Missed opportunity. Uh, yeah. So many years mm-hmm. on. But that, again, was a, another story when you think of Formula One and the way that shaped over the last few, well, certainly this season, when it's really kicked off with um, Hamilton and Verstappen and, and all the controversy yeah, around exactly. that, which has brought the whole sport alive for a lot of people, hasn't it? Which is um, Yeah, it has. I think it's going to be an interesting year next mm. year. So, uh, 
whatever anybody thinks of that outcome, I'm guessing that they're going to have a lot of people oh, of watching uh, yeah. what he does this coming year. So in your current world, um, Pat, you know, what would you say that you are doing you know, now that's actually energising you um, in your current role, in your current business, with the current things, your current clients you're doing? What are the things that, that's energising you? What, what, what is your philosophy on how to grow and scale and create a sustainable outcome um, you know, in a what might be called by a lot of people a normal world, everyone doing the same thing. You know, um, they, as they say, I shouldn't really swear on a podcast, but same shit, different day. Um, I mean, what what is it that that is, is driving you and, and, and pulling you out of bed every day? Well, we're, first of all, we're allowed to say shit on podcasts <laughs> because, because Ofcom can't do anything about it, which is great. So shit, shit. Mm. Um, so yes, as I said earlier, you know we we, we deal a lot with uh, with procurement and marketing teams of various clients around the world, and, and one of the things I didn't want to do, having come from a creative background, I didn't want to uh, do what we uh, are doing now, but I didn't want to attack it as like cutting costs. I wanted to find a better way of uh, designing processes and adding more value to the way that clients make stuff. Um, uh, you know, particularly when you look at the way that influencers are so involved in creating um, materials and, and, and things these days, they you know they have all the kit, like we do right now, sitting here in front of our laptops and microphones. Uh, they're making stuff uh, themselves and uploading it at a fraction of the cost of going to make a TV ad, which might be hundreds of thousands of pounds. So um, I think things have changed dramatically for clients. Uh, so helping them to design new ecosystems where they can have content creators help them to make as much stuff as possible. And even if uh, a large percentage of that stuff is useless and gets thrown away, it doesn't matter because you're still going to get a load of great stuff out of it anyway. So it's finding the right balance of, you know, spending and investing the right amount on when you want to have a TV ad, particularly if it's going to be exploited for a long time. Uh, and if you've got a celebrity or you're going to run it across a number of geographies. So it's, it's I would say, what is our business? What do we do? We are production investment experts. So we'll help the client get the most out of their budget when they are creating um, advertising assets. That's what we do. And that's a very different uh, slant. And it, it sometimes becomes quite difficult to deal with procurement teams uh, because they're not quite sure how to deal with us. Because at the same time, sometimes we'll say, well, actually, you should be spending more on this particular thing because it's going to get you more effectiveness out of the ad that you're working mm -hmm. on. Mm. And, how, and and what would you say your competition is in that world? Do you feel that you are influencing the rest of the market to approach it in the same way? Would you say that um, everyone else is just doing the same thing? I mean, what, how would you say you are um, separated from the rest of the market in that environment? Um, it, yeah, it's an interesting question because there aren't many companies doing what we do. There's only really two or three in the companies in the world that do what we do. Uh, so I, it's very important for us to to have a very different positioning to the others. I, I would say that our relationships are very much more marketing driven than procurement driven. And I think that's uh, born out of the fact that I've also worked in uh, the client side. So I was worked at Procter & Gamble uh, for a number of uh, years. And a lot of the team that we have inside our own business are also ex-marketers, having worked at places like PepsiCo or Rolls-Royce or wherever. Uh, it means that we understand what the drivers are on the client side of the fence. And I think that makes a huge difference. Um, and I'm not sure that many of our competitors have that amount of experience. Hmm. Okay, so listen, um, during your experience and your um, brushing shoulders with some of the stars that we would all be 
give a, well, some of us will give a right arm, certainly to meet jo- Joanna Lumley. But um, <laughs> you, you must have, without obviously breaching any confidence, you must have a, a couple of stories that you reflect on and think, God, they were f- that was funny. Yeah, give me a couple of funny stories that may have occurred in, in, in your journey. Uh, well, I've got, I've got lots of funny stories, but I'm not sure if I can kind of talk about some of them here. Um, that's the kind of stuff that you talk about over a couple of pints of beer. Um, but, you know, there have been occasions where, you know, we've, we've been involved. I've been involved in um, – uh, and I can talk about one particular occasion. I loved it, actually, when I was working at one particular agency. Uh, we had a creative team who – and this is such a long time ago, so it probably doesn't matter now. But um, we were working on a British telecom ad. It was a radio campaign. And the uh, the creative team decided they wanted to work – with all the celebrities they could get hold of that might not be around next year. So, are oh, this lot going to die soon, right? <laughs> because they just wanted to get them all into one room and say they've met these people. And so we ended up um, getting a whole ton of these celebrities like Huey Green and Fenella Fielding and Roy Hard, all these people, uh, all in one room. And it was they all seemed to know each other anyway, uh, but it became a bit of a party uh, affair. And it was a great fun session that we did. Um, and all because the creative team wanted to to meet these heroes of theirs. Before they died. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, wow. There are plenty of other, I mean, plenty of other stories which uh, we can talk about, mm. um, partic- you know, particularly celebrities in, in recent years. So one of the things that I've done in recent years is uh, negotiate celebrity contracts for, for L'Oreal. Um, and that's been interesting. Uh, uh, it's been an interesting exercise on how some of those people behave. Of course, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure. And of course, you've told me a few um, in the pub last month when um, when we was going through some of it. So yeah, I, I enjoy every minute of those of those stories that I'm obviously held to secrecy on. Nevertheless, right. So Pat, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, if you could only name one thing. What is the one thing you would say you are most grateful for? Great question, and I know the answer instantly. Um, if you kind of rewind in my life back to around the year 2000, I was in a very successful career uh, at an ad agency called Leo Burnett at that time. Um, but was I happy? I wasn't really happy. So I thought, okay, I need to change. And I was scared shitless, frankly, of leaving a corporate career. And I wasn't happy in my home life either. And I decided to attend uh, an NLP course. Somebody recommended this to me. And I went along to attend an NLP course run by a guy called David Shepard, who uh, runs known as the Performance Partnership. And after I'd done this NLP course, first of all, it transformed my life in a number of ways. For the benefit of the audience, please explain to them what an NLP course is. Neuro-linguistic programming. So it, it, it's really, if you get a chance to read the books or understand NLP, it's, a, it's really about a way to control your state, be able to communicate more effectively, build rapport. It's, it's just a, a great way to be able to control your, everything that you do from day to day uh, and get on better with people. And communicate better. It was just a, a just a fantastic. I mean, it's a bit difficult to explain it in in totality like that. But it was more around you know taking control of your life. Really, the outcome of that was that I um, resigned from my job without having anything else to go to, and I decided to get out of my marriage at that time. And I did both of those things at exactly the same time. 
I suppose I was on a high at the end of the course, but uh, I uh, I tell David often that he completely changed my whole life, both personal and business, and he's responsible for where I am today. And so that really was the big pivotal thing that I had in my life right. that completely changed my career. Right. Uh, I would never have done that had I not attended that no. uh, NLP course. Wow. Wow. So that's a huge influence. Well done. Okay. So my second and final question is, again, if there's only one thing that you could suggest, um, what is the one single message that you would like to pass on to the audience of this podcast um, based upon your life and business experience? If you could only give one message, what would that one message be? Well, I think I I said it earlier on, really, to be honest, Jeff. Um, you know, if you're going to be resilient, uh, one of the things you really need to do is enjoy and love what you do, because that'll get you through the ups and the downs uh, and make you much more resilient. There's a saying that I always keep reminding myself of, which is, if you carry on doing what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got. So, you know, change it. I think that's credited to Einstein. It's been credited to a whole load of different people, but actually it's such a brilliant phrase. Uh, and I tell this to clients, I said, look, you know, you're not going to be able to get anything new unless you change uh, the behaviours, change the process, whatever it is. If you carry on doing what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. Mm. And we use a similar saying um, in every minute of our lives in, in our world, and that is that if you do the same thing, you will get the same results. If you want different results, you have to do it differently. And anyone that tries to get a different result by doing the same thing is just simply deluded. It will never happen. And just very quickly, I want to pick up on one thing you've said there. You've used the word a couple of times during that answer of that one question, that message. You use the word resilience. And um, we did mention earlier about the impacts of, of COVID on, on everybody across the world. To you know, It's affected everybody to a greater or lesser extent. Um, but the one thing that is common among all of those people, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and businesses that have survived, um, they would all use one word, and that is the building of resilience, because resilience was the one thing that enabled them to get through COVID. Um, that doesn't mean it was easy. It doesn't mean it, was, uh, it wasn't fearful, but the resilience is what got you through because of the passion of drive and the responsibility of the people around you. So um, I think it's a powerful word, the word resilience, when used in the right way. Well, I mean, last year, uh, interestingly, through the pandemic, I mean, we... we um, we looked at the way that we were going to operate. Um, many of us in the, on the board took no income at all for the year, uh, but we managed to get through it. We've had our best year ever in, nine, in 2021. Mm, which is fantastic news, isn't it? It's fantastic news. Yeah, I think the only people that we know that's one of our clients, because we're obviously very close to our clients, um, you know, the one client that seemed to be completely unaffected, and they probably won't appreciate me saying that because everybody was affected, but from a trading perspective, I mean, KFC just didn't even have a blip. In fact, their trading was 300% year on year um, because they were you know, servicing those people that were finding it really, really tough. So um, as an organisation, as a brand, um, I mean, they're the, the second most recognised brand in the world. And, and you know, to see them behave and, and do the things they did during that pandemic, um, you know, it's, 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 we're back to resilience again, aren't we? We're back to those people that, um, that are able to turn um, a crisis into an opportunity. I think you hit the nail on the head there, mm. Jeff. I think in these situations, same thing happened in 2008 when we had the financial crash. Uh, I think people who look at those moments in time as an opportunity are the ones that win out. And I think in the last 18 months or so during the pandemic, one of the things we've seen certainly in advertising is that it sped up innovation 
And in our business, particularly in the technology side of our business, it sped it up. And obviously that technology was there prior to the pandemic. But uh, uh, now we're doing business in a very, very different way. Uh, we're not attending shoots. We're using remote technology. Uh, so it saves a huge amount of money, but also it's also very, very eco-friendly. People are not jumping on airplanes. I'm not going to meetings in New York anymore. I'm doing it all this way. Uh, and I think this has all been a great thing. So there have been some real positives that have come out of this pandemic. Uh, obviously, it's affected a lot of people negatively, um, but I'd say that there's been some good stuff out of this as well. And uh, certainly the resilience um, and innovation, I think, have been the two things that have uh, um, been the big things for us in our business. Yeah, and I think that's probably true of, of most businesses in terms of um, innovation and acceleration of technology and, and change of behaviour, i.e., us doing things like this rather than jumping on planes and flying all over the place. It, 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 it. There's another change of behaviour as well, which is I think that people have reflected on what's happened and changed their priorities. So I think people now uh, are thinking, right, well, okay, my family is probably the number one priority and I can spend more time with my kids. I can spend more time with my family and do different things and, and it will fit around uh, the way that I work. So working from home has been a really interesting exercise. Uh, you know, Mike, I'm surprised my kids haven't walked in on this interview. <laughs> They're out there watching the telly. Um, but, uh, you know, they love, they when they see a microphone, they, they get very of course, uh, excited. Amazing, yeah. so. I think it's karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we've seen those videos often enough in the last uh, two years and where, where people kind of like literally gate crashed uh, TV interviews and stuff because people have been doing this stuff from home. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Live broadcast. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, but it makes it real. It makes it real, and that's. Uh, I think that's what's exactly. I think what's changed the behaviour of of people um, is you know I call it the big reset, um, and I think it has enabled people to reflect and and really reevaluate what's important in life, not just about whether it's family or work, about what's important in life, and giving yep. people that freedom to decide. Um, what time they start work and what time they finish work and how it fits around their daily lives and taking the dog for a walk for an hour whereas before you would, the dog would miss out because you had to be at the office at 8 o'clock I, th I think it's been transformational and, um, and I'm not suggesting it, it's, it, you know, one size doesn't fit all but uh, I think for a large majority we're finding that you know, our staff are, are just so much happier and content in how they manage their lives and it's almost like and more productive of course, you know you'd, yeah. you'd think that uh you know people will be less productive working from home yeah. but we found the people that are working in my business who have been allowed to be treated as grown-ups mm. uh they're much more productive and, and more creative as well i've noticed uh, as well yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. Uh, my wife said to me the other day she said you know you used to spend three weeks every month away from home yeah. uh traveling to various different places mm. around the world now you're here all the time and i love the very fact that I can take my kids to school every yeah, morning yeah. takes half an hour to walk there, mm. and I'm back in time for for kickoff at nine. Mm. And I, I, you know, it's just a brilliant feeling to be able to do that every yeah. single day. Yeah, yeah. Well, my wife was sort of similar when she said you used to be away two weeks in a month, and I'm really not enjoying the fact you're not away two weeks in a month. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's another story. But anyway, listen, Pat, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. Thanks for sharing your story. Um, I look forward to meeting up again in a couple of weeks, which we're due to do. And, um, and uh, have, a, have a great day. Thank you very much indeed. It's a real pleasure, Jeff. Thanks very much for inviting me. And um, hopefully somebody takes a bit out of this and uses it. So thanks. <laughs>